The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. My name is Steven Jodron. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Micah Fye and Jake Watroba. This week, we chat MLS transfers FC Cincinnati with Charlie Hatch, and we do this year's first edition of the Counterattack with Jake Watroba. Please make sure you follow the show on Twitter, Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. There you can get the latest news, information, and everything you need to know about the show. And if you are listening through any of those podcast apps, go ahead and hit the subscription button wherever that is, and give us a five-star rating because we are the best soccer podcast out there. Now, let's get to today's show. Well, Jake, you and I survived the polar vortex. How fantastic was that? Oh, it was great. Although, I did take a look at the forecast. It's going to snow... Five out of the next seven days, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I might. I think I might want that uh, fifty below zero wind chill back instead of dealing with snow for the next week. There you go. And uh, Armand, you are sick once again. I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm always sick. So here I am, sick again. Yeah, I played uh, ninety minutes of soccer on Friday, and uh, I guess my body was like, "It's a terrible idea, Armand. Don't do that again." Because I'm feeling sick again. But the caveat to this is I've watched a lot of A-League recently because I haven't been able to sleep until 2 a.m. So lots of uh, Brisbane uh, Roar, whatever their name is, and uh, Melbourne City. That's funny you mentioned that, Armand, because I I also took in uh, an obscure league yesterday morning. I I watched the Indian Super League. Oh, FC Pune City? (laughs) Uh, It's Pune. Uh, I I came to find out, disappointingly, I came to find out it was Pune and not (laughs) (laughs) FC Pune City. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, uh, uh, I think it was FC Chennai or something like that versus uh, Pune City. (laughs) So uh, the the Poons came up uh, out on top. So Wait, Pune or Pune? It's Pune, but we're going to keep it Pune. Yeah, we're going to keep it Pune. There you go. Well, listeners, uh, I know... 
a lot of you paid attention to the U.S. men's national team. They took on Costa Rica. They won 2-0 Saturday. Now, here is our 30-second abbreviated chat. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, nice performance. Good goals. Nick Lima looks good. Uh, go USA. They have uh, clarity with Greg Berhalter at the helm. I really didn't care that much. All right, there you go. And the reason why I, I made Armand do that on the spot is go listen to last week's episode. We do get in-depth with Joseph Lowry about the U.S. men's national team and these friendlies. Now, let's get to MLS transfers because that really took the leading charge this past week in U.S. soccer. You guys surprised with the moves that were made this past week? Uh, I Yes. I mean... Yeah, I I hundred percent was surprised because there was like some moves out of left field where you're sitting there like, oh, like why is this happening? And there's other moves that happened. You're like, oh, finally this happened. I mean, so many. It, it was a big selling and a big. I think I don't know if turning point is the right word, but it was a strong trend for MLS in the transfer window in terms of selling their pieces. Uh, there were some moves that didn't really surprise me. Obviously, Miguel Almiron leaving for Newcastle shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, Sebastian uh, Javinko leaving for Al Hilal. Did I say that right? Yeah, Al Hilal. Come on, uh, man, you got to throw your accent in there. That didn't really surprise me. However, the almost transfer of Luciano Acosta from DC United, that was that was kind of out of left field. I know we were all kind of taken aback by that just because no one had really heard of Acosta being moved or DC looking to move him. And the fact that he was almost went to PSG was just as surprising too. Yeah. So let's talk about Miguel Almarone's move to Newcastle, obviously shattering the previous MLS transfer fee record upwards of 26, $27 million, depending on which report you read Almarone in 2017 guys, 31 matches, nine goals and eight assists in 2018. With his run with Atlanta United to MLS Cup, 37 matches, 13 goals, and 11 assists. Almarone, $27 million, doubles Alfonso Davies' move of 13 mil, which could actually rise to 22 after add ons. Josie Altador, 10 mil, Jack Harrison, 6 mil, and Matt Miazga, 5 mil. Isn't it insane that we finally have a player leave MLS for? A hefty fee versus you know five or six million dollars when that's just chump change in today's transfer market, or like one million, like we like, like oh like oh we'll sell you for five hundred k. It's like one million, twenty seven million. I, I didn't think I didn't think that uh, Atlanta would get that much because Atlanta had no leverage. You, you already signed his replacement. You have to be roster compliant. You have no leverage basically in a situation. Newcastle be like okay, we'll give you we can lowball you and you have to accept it because what are you gonna do? But I guess. They really, they were like, "Hey, we'll get we we could get rid of Barco and send them on loan if we really need to." And Newcastle like, "All right, fine. Like, yeah, I guess we don't have the leverage anymore, so we'll splurge and get Al, Al Marone. I'm interested to see how he'll do because Jake insists that he'll be in the championship next year. But I mean, we'll see if, if they have performances like it did against City midweek. Uh, I, I don't know if we're talking the same thing. I'm not a Newcastle uh, expert by any means. And a matter of fact, I don't even know where they are on the table, actually. I know there's from like it's like five or six points separating was it like thirteenth place from uh eighteenth place or whatever. It sounds like Fulham and Huddersfield are already relegated, basically. Um 
But I, I, I'm kind of confused <clears throat> as to how he's going to actually perform at Newcastle, given that they're fighting off relegation and Amiron comes from a club that was basically running circles around teams in MLS. And now he's going to go play for a Newcastle team that is probably going to concede 70%, you know, 60 to 70% of possession every, every match. And I'm going to be curious to know how that, or how he's going to going to play in a system like that. That's a great point, Jake. I haven't thought about that. Wonderful. Wonderful point, actually. Kind of leads into Benitez's comments here, talking to uh, Sky Sports about the price tag. Quote, it means that we realized that we needed something in this position. Obviously, the offensive players are more expensive. We've been talking about a number 10 for a while, and it's a position that... If we bring in someone, it has to be expensive. Now, clearly, I think he's taking a shot at the cheap ownership of Newcastle here. But they spent the money. And if you read further along, quote, But the main thing for me is to forget about the money. We are happy with Almiron? Question mark. Hopefully, we will be happy. He has a potential pace, work rate, and ability to help the team and do something that we didn't have before. There's a lot of weight on, this sh- on the shoulders of Miguel Almiron. Fair to say, right? The way Benitez is talking here, price tag, being expensive, playing the number 10 role, talking about his pace, work rate, ability, and the fact that, as Jake just alluded to, they're in a rele- uh, relegation battle. You know, with, Al- with Almiron, though, I mean, when you watch Atlanta play, he could break w- within an instant. If they play counterattacking football he's the ability he has with his pace and you know his pace on the ball too this guy is so quick he can break on an instant and you know lead a counterattack with some offensive creativity and i don't think that's something newcastle has had um you know watching like the three games i've watched newcastle play hey let me let me jump in here real quick then when you talk about he can hit with his pace and uh everything he can hit teams in the counterattack can miguel amiron play defense i mean Let's be real. Newcastle's probably playing what nine, ten men behind the ball at all times. Is he going to be able to be able to, you know, chase down uh, players with the ball? You know, uh, what I mean his work rate? Jake? What's that? His, uh, his work rate. Like, I mean, if you remember, uh, Tata Martino's system was really demanding in terms of he, he wanted the press and he and Almiron would would if I remember correctly. Remember, this is like you know two months after the MLS season ended, so I'm using my memory. Right here, the you know he would drop back at least into the midfield and at least a little deeper to you know try to retrieve the ball and go from there. Because I mean, Tata Martino's system was really just a pressing system that required everyone to put in you know maximum effort, uh, no matter what. I mean, I think he can, but I, I also mean, would expect that Benitez would make some sort of adjustment uh, in terms of how the team plays. You know, especially when you're going to fit in a 27 million dollar signing. I mean, here here's my thing. It, it's one thing, you know to chase down an opposing player when you're playing Orlando City, right? That's great. Great. Miguel Amaron can do that. He's He can be disruptive in the midfield. It's another thing, though, when you're playing against Liverpool and you have to... I don't even know who's in Liverpool's midfield. Keita Nagby, is he, is he the, <laughs> the number 10 there? I mean, like... But you know what I'm saying. Like, it's 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 one thing to chase down an opposing player on, on Orlando City of, or Orlando City and then, you know, go and do it again. Liverpool too and that's going to be the big question mark for me uh, as it pertains to Miguel Amiron can he can he make a big enough impact on Newcastle and I, I to be I, I'm unsure I'm unsure on it to be quite honest 
Newcastle are in 15th, Jake. Two points clear of the drop, uh, sitting on 24 points. Uh, but let's talk about the MLS angle here. Atlanta United president Darren Eels, quote, I think we can say after this transfer window, if you're a young player and you're a club in MLS trying to attract a player coming to the prime of his career, you're, you're able to point to Miguel Almarone or Afonso Davies and now say, look, you can come to this league and actually get noticed and moved on to top clubs and top leagues in the world. Guys, do we agree with this comment? I would say yes. I mean, with all, all the moves made, I mean, look, you're going to be a special talent no matter what. But with all the moves made, I mean, what? I guess there's an FC quota for his podcast. But, I mean, Chris Richards moved without playing a single game for FC Dallas. Like, he didn't have to play a single game, and he moved on to a top team like Bayern Munich. You see Alfonso Davies moving also to Bayern Munich. You see all these young Americans, you know, getting snatched up from academies and stuff like that. Um, I, I feel like... If you do, you know, if you do well in MLS, this is a huge, you know, mark, uh, I guess, stamp of approval from other leagues saying, hey, we're watching. I, I think, honestly, I know we're going to get to this a little bit later. The Luciano Acosta move would have been even bigger for this. I mean, it, it fell apart. It would have been even bigger that, hey, like, you know, other teams are legitimately watching you uh, week in and week out as maybe in, uh, as, an, as a reinforcement for the team. And that fee is $27 million. I mean, look, that's not that's not a small, you know, fee. That's a big investment for a side like Newcastle uh, to put into their team. So, I mean, I, I agree with what you was saying. It's, hey, look, come to MLS, come show out. And if you show out, you could be gone for a nice side. You could be gone to a, a team in the top leagues in Europe. Uh, yes and no. I, I, I agree with it to a certain extent. I think this is a good start. I don't think Miguel, Miguel Amiron or Alfonso Davies leaving for Bayern Munich and Newcastle United respectively signals now that MLS is now all of a sudden this stepping stone to get to Europe now come on come on all you Argentinians come on all you Colombians uh Paraguayans come on up to MLS we'll get you over to Europe in a couple years I don't think that's what this means yet I think you can judging by how the Luciano Acosta transfer played out we I don't really know what happened there if that was we've kind of heard conflicting reports you know where DC United kind of there there, there was the difference of 1.5 million dollars there there was that report there was the other report where PSG kind of it sounded like they just walked away um I don't I don't necessarily think that this is, is now the, the 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 tip of the iceberg now where MLS is going to just start becoming this league where young South Americans or just young players in general come to uh, you know, play a year or two and then get on over to Europe. I don't think that's, I don't think we're there yet. I think we still need to see moves like this before we can say MLS has now become a seller's league and a league that is has become a stepping stone for young talent. I know it's a little too soon to tell. I think it's one player. We, we, we need to see a little bit more. It's the first domino to fall down. It's like David Beckham coming as a DP. Now let's see what follows. Will more players come along? Now, this is, I think, a, a, an interesting fact. Five years ago, the average newcomer age in MLS was 27 and a half years old. Now, uh, doesn't include draft picks or development academy players. It's 25.24. So, you know, 25 and a quarter years old. So, and, and this is coming from uh, ESPN.com. It's a fantastic s statistic. They're showing that MLS is growing into this youth moment just before they hit their prime, which gives them the opportunity to make the move. Now, if you're an ownership group 
Armand or Jake, does this allow owners to realize, hmm, maybe we should go this route and try to see if we can invest and get a better uh, return on it once they grow one or two years here in the league and then sell them off for twice the price that we paid for originally? No, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Because you have to look into how much they actually do get. Um, I don't know numbers off the top of my head, but I do know that MLS takes three, uh, you get three fourths of the fee while MLS takes error 25. And then only a specific amount goes towards general allocation money while the rest of the money, you know, goes towards other, you know, just development of the, of the facilities and stuff like that. I, again, I think the incentive is there for one to continue to invest in academies and not necessarily. Uh, yeah, going after big name players like or developing players from Argentina. I mean, we do see that, you know, that Atlanta especially has gone for Pity Martinez with these sizable fees. But if you're the common MLS owner that's not that doesn't have the checkbook of Arthur Blank, you'd rather invest in your academy because you get a hundred percent of those fees compared to getting seventy-five percent. And you that twenty-five percent could be used, you know, towards Again, you know, building a, a second team or a reserve team. I think they said DeAndre Yedlin's uh, fee for the Sounders to help make Sounders too. Uh, this is just off the top of my head. So you have all these things. I would much rather invest in my academy if I am a common MLS owner uh, than go after a player like a Miguel Amarone. Rather would see academy players come up and, you know, be an Alfonso Davies. You get to keep all that fee compared to only getting a certain percentage of it. <laughs> I agree with Armand. I think it's it's a little bit of risky business to buy players from South America and think that you can, in, in a year or two, flip them for a, a profit. I think teams are better off investing in their uh, academies and growing their young American talent and then flipping them over to uh, you know Germany or England or, or wherever. I, 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 I think that while Miguel Miron was a nice story and they were able to flip them for a profit, I mean, let's be real here. I mean, they could have bought. I mean, it, it could have just been. It could have been just as bad for Atlanta, though, too. They could have invested in Miguel Miron. He didn't pan out, and then all of a sudden, you're sunk. You have, you have a sunk cost there, and it, it 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 it's a risky bit of business if you think you can buy somebody and then develop them and sell them off for even more than you paid for. You're better off just developing your academy products and, and flipping them. But let's talk about some other moves quickly. After scoring 68 goals in 144 appearances. Sebastian Giovinco is headed to the Middle East to a club I can't pronounce, Al Hilal. Al Hilal. Hilal in of Saudi Arabia for two, two and two and a half, three million bucks. Although Giovinco does slam TFC in an Instagram post where he talked about wanting to renew his contract. He's tried. Guys, this is kind of a strange situation. You know, it it, it is. Uh, and my my thoughts on it, I, I felt like this was coming. Uh, you know, your your core of Giovinco, Altador, and Bradley is aging and aging really quick. Do you really want to sign Giovinco to uh, a monster deal uh, like he's probably expecting and demanding? And I think Ali Curtis has also came out and said, saying, hey, we offered him a deal to make him one of the highest paid in MLS. Well, that's cool and all, but I know from what we've heard, these these Middle Eastern clubs in the UAE – uh, Saudi and Qatar, they do offer lots of, I guess, uh, post-playing uh, post incentives as well, you know, such as security and, you know, lots of money uh, after, you, after you play as well. 
look, I think Javinko said it's kind of spin it. I mean, it's kind of like the whole Porzingis thing. Um, you know, in the NBA, you kind of want to spin it and make sure it's 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 in your favor that you know you you don't look like the bad guy, the other guys are like the bad guy. Because I feel like a lot of people are ripping TFC now uh, for uh, what what they're doing. But I mean, I think the writing was on the wall, and you know what? He's a great player and was a fantastic one. But I I think it was time to move on. To be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. He's getting old. You can't be forking over tons of money to an aging star. And like you said, Josie Altador, Michael Bradley, that core feels like it's getting older for TFC. And it kind of showed last year as they didn't make the playoffs. And as our Stephen Jodoran has alluded to me through text messages, they will not make the playoffs this year. Don't worry, everybody. I wrote that down. So we'd come back to that come uh, October, November. But no, this just, yeah, he had, it, it was time. It was time for him to leave the club. It was time for him to get out of MLS. He, uh, <clears throat> great player in the league, uh, probably the best player to ever play in MLS. So um, unfortunate that there's this, you know, there's this little clash of he said, she said thing going on here with Javinko and the club. But uh, I mean, TFC, they had to get rid of him. He, it, it was time. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Jake. I mean, it's. Do you guys know just... how old Sebastian Giovinco really is? What is this like? 32, born, yeah. 32, unless he was born in like the Dominican Republic where they don't have like birth certificates and stuff like that. Well, he's 32 years old. Like, <laughs> so we do know. <laughs> so you do know. But how are you guys calling him old at 32? 32 is not particularly all that old. Hey, man, MLS has become one of the best leagues in the world. You know, uh, 32 is getting The average old. age we... is 25, uh, 20, uh, 25 and 24. I don't know. No, no, that's I not mean, the average age, Ramon. That is that is totally you misreading that statistic. We're becoming, yep. you know, the league's becoming a seller's league now. We okay. we just, okay. this isn't a retirement league, you know? All right, we'll talk yep. about selling league. What happened to Acosta, Ramon, with DC United? Yeah, so this is from The Athletic, from Pablo Maurer. Um, basically I'm paraphrasing what happened. Uh, we all were, you know, on Twitter. Uh, I think it was, I want to say like a f- Thursday or Wednesday night when all of a sudden this, this report came out that PSG was targeting Luciano Acosta to where I think the universal answer uh, I got when I sent the tweet out to some buddies was what the, you can fill in the blank. Um, just a really weird situation where they're connected. Uh, this is according to the article uh, by an intermediary of the club, uh, who said that uh, PSG would go after Acosta for the fee that DC wanted. DC wanted 13 to 50 million. Uh, PSG said nine to about 11 million. There's a little bit of a gap between the two. Um, Luciano Acosta and his agent and the lawyer went to Paris uh, for a physical. And uh, they were there, and then the deal fell apart due to that distance. And according to the article, it says, you know, with Miguel Almiron's deal, that uh, DC United wanted more instead of, uh, you know, the $9 million that was offered. And it was a really surprising situation. I'm honestly really shocked by, you know, first off, DC not being able to agree to a fee for him. Because I, I think, if I remember correctly, his contract is expiring at, at the end of the year. So, I mean, if I'm Luciano Costa, I'm pretty pissed off that you guys can't negotiate a deal with one of the biggest uh, teams in the world. And it's just it's, – it's such a bizarre situation that I think this would have been a bigger deal than the Miguel Amaron deal because it really – you have PSG looking at a player like Luciano Costa, like 
that would really put the league on notice. Like, hey, people are paying attention to your talent. And it, well, and, and according to rumors, Armand, he wasn't even uh, PSG wasn't even the only team, big club to be looking at him. Wasn't there Manchester was like, City? I think Man City, I think from an initial yeah, report and clubs. a couple other Premier League teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's odd, and the fact that I mean, we we talked about this earlier about is this you know with the Miguel Magrón and Alfonso Davies transfers, is this the the point where MLS can say we 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 send we can send kids to Europe now. For as much as we, you know, you can point at those two transfers, you can look at this and say, you know, this is how screwed up MLS is. You know, they they stopped an Acosta transfer over $1.5 million or whatever the, the difference was. I mean, it wasn't much for these billionaire owners, uh, obviously. And I think this, if, you know, for as much as those two were, hey, look at look at how great MLS is. This is a, one of those uh, potential transfers that can also... Uh, people can point out and say, "Yeah, but this is what all, this is also what MLS can do to you as well." And uh, it, it it's kind of a blemish a little bit on the league right now. Yeah, it's bad luck. I mean, the, the fact that he was in Paris, DC United holding it up, and I mean, they should have sold on him when the opportunity was high because his contract's running out, and it's unlikely that he resigns. It's like, like it, I mean, I wouldn't resign if I was him. No, I mean, like, the likelihood is he's going overseas. The question is where. Maybe they can sell him in the in the window, the summer window, but uh, you know, the price has suddenly dropped because he's a free agent. And yeah, they ain't getting they ain't getting thirteen million for him. Nope. Yeah, there's there's no way. And I mean, it's MLS players are undervalued to begin with, so that value is going to skyrocket down. But and a final question I actually have for you guys. Um, maybe it's a little too deep for a final question because I know we have a couple minutes left. But how do you feel, you know, we talk about MLS as a selling league. Okay, it's great and all. But the one thing I've noticed is fans are a little pissed off. Hey, your best player is going to be transferred in like one to two years. How do you think that's going to have an impact? Do you think fans need more uh, education? Because you know they come from, like, you know, they come from uh, different leagues and stuff like that. Uh, You know, the NBA, like that stuff, you know, you transfer your player to another country. You know, none, like none. It's, it's going to have zero effect. Zero, zero. I'm I'm fine with it. Go if Minnesota United's bringing in players that they can sell in two years. That means Minnesota United's doing something right. So go ahead, flip your players. I don't care. It, 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 <laughs> Armand, the, the soccer education in America is only going to grow. These people are going to know what is happening when they show up at football stadiums or soccer stadiums, and it is a good step in the right direction i mean if you're in a small country in europe and you're not in england or one of the big leagues you hope your players move on particularly if they're american i think if they're american and they make that move there's even more of an incentive but we will see if more americans can make the leap from mls to say the bundesliga or the premiership just like we saw with um adams Tyler Adams of New York Red Bulls. Anyway, listeners, follow us on Twitter at UncleSamSoccerPod at Armankafai, at Jake Wachoba, at Steven Jodderan. Come back tomorrow. We talk FC Cincinnati with Charlie Hatch. everyone my name is jake patroba and welcome to uncle sam's soccer podcast joining me today is steven jodoran and armand kafai on this episode we chat fc cincinnati with charlie hatch please make sure you follow the show on twitter at uncle sam 
Soccer Pod. Make sure you subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, and also make sure to leave us a review. Now, let's get to today's episode. All right, listeners, let's get straight to it. Joining us on the line is FC Cincinnati club reporter. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at charliehatch underscore. Charlie, how's it going? Did you guys get did you get hit by the uh, polar vortex, or were you traveling with the team? I'm actually with the team, but I got a message from my parents saying it was negative seven, and then it snowed more. So uh, it looks a lot nicer in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Enjoying the preseason, huh? Jealous. That is correct. I'm try- at least trying to. But so, so just talk to us about the excitement for the upcoming season. Finally, here with MLS after the last several years in USL, it's kind of like winning the league. Now you're getting quote unquote promoted. What, what's the excitement and what's the conversation like within the club? Yeah, I mean it's it's never ending. I I think the big mantra basically around the club is there was no off season. If you have a situation where you make it into MLS, you're told roughly around Memorial Day last year. And at that point, you got to start moving forward, planning things from your branding in MLS to jerseys to who are the staff you're going to bring in, the scouts. And what's ended up happening is while the USL season was going on, there's still player recruitment for MLS. Um, Obviously, the expansion draft and then the draft FC Cincinnati was pretty active in. So there hasn't really been any sort of downtime. Uh, And it doesn't help that you essentially – there was one portion where I think in two weeks, 10 players were added, including draft picks. So uh, less than a month away now from the first game. It's a lot of excitement. Uh, There's still a lot of stuff it seems like needs to happen. Um, But there's still – Still time to really take it in before the first home opener on St. Patrick's Day. Charlie, can you give us an idea of what the Cincinnati sports landscape is like? Is is FC Cincinnati something that can rival the Reds, the Bengals, and the Bearcats? Yeah, I, and that's the. I don't know how it's viewed from the outside uh, internally, or at least in the city. It's a strange situation in that. Um, You know, you've always had these two historical teams, the first team in Major League Baseball and the Reds and then obviously the Bengals. And here comes FC Cincinnati. But if you walk around downtown, you go anywhere, you'll see FC Cincinnati stuff, whether it's the old logo, new logo. So it's definitely a place where the team can come in and fit in. Um, They they've been able to find a way to get people, whether it's youth, people interested in soccer, the, the city's getting younger inside of its core. Um, so they are able to fit in. And, again, you have a, a unique perspective where Xavier and UC both have big basketball teams. Um, but FC Cincinnati fits in. There's no situation where it's, oh, how are they going to manage? Um, is this a three-city or three-sport town like Cleveland or something like that? Um, they're all Everyone's getting in. Everyone has its own fan base. And, like I said, you'll see situations where I think FC Cincinnati had more, I think it was higher attendance on average last year than the Reds did. Obviously the Reds played more games, but it gives you an idea that this isn't a situation where it's hot and exciting for a couple of years and fades away. Well, you just, the question before you talked about this transition period where it's been ongoing and there was really no pause. What has been the biggest challenge to overcome transitioning from USL to MLS? 
I guess it would just depend on whoever, you know, whatever part of the organization it is. Uh, the biggest thing that seemed different is, or at least a lot of people on the outside have said, well, did you bring too many people from USL, things like that? Um, because there were 11 players, including Fatai Lache and Fernando Adi, who were already in MLS. Um, but you look at the team, FC Cincinnati, uh, when it was in USL, rather than going with a lot of young players and trying to build that way, kind of like what New York Red Bulls, too, would do, understandably, the team played for a championship. And so you look at the roster, the 2018 roster that won USL regular season title, and it was stacked with people who were experienced and played professionally either in MLS and other leagues. And so those people are coming up as if it was just kind of like the English championship into the EPL, a natural transition. Um, that is, that's something that kind of slowed e- seamlessly, but at this point it's just trying to bring in the right pieces, getting everyone situated together and then trying to finalize the roster ahead of the first season. Charlie, can you talk about the club's expectations heading into this season? Now, obviously, there it's it's the inaugural season for the club. You know, coming up from USL, there was the short turnaround uh, from USL to MLS. But w- what are the club's expectations heading into the season? Is it kind of playoffs or bust, or is it uh, you know hopefully we just kind of contend for a playoff spot and let the let the chips fall where they may? There has been like a. Alan Crotch, the head coach, hasn't come out and said, this is what we're going to do, and it's this or nothing. Um, he has said, you know, obviously competing for a championship. In general, FC Cincinnati has been a team that has actively pursued championships, whether it's, you know, trying to get the Open Cup in 2017, uh, USL, uh, in those regards. So I think coming in with a winning mentality, the fan base is used to winning from the first three seasons. So looking at something where you can make the playoffs, it's definitely something that everyone would like to see. Again, I think it'll be interesting the first couple games of the season or the first 10 games are against nine playoff teams from last year. Um, and so it's basically like seeing, you know, where is this team? How does it stack up against the league? And then what happens from here? It just, because the team's never been in MLS, um, there's no real re- way to really gauge the team against other MLS clubs until, you have those first regular season kickoffs. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of excitement just to see what type of atmosphere, if the the club can, you know, take over the city like you see in other major league soccer markets. And I think a lot of eyes are pointing to Atlanta. The question is, what type of style? How will FC Cincinnati move forward? And you're obviously with a team here in preseason in Florida. Has there been, you know, anything that stood out to you? that you would say, hmm, this could be an interesting player or a tactic that you we might see going forward throughout the season? Yeah, I think the team has a couple different angles they've gone, they can go with. Uh, the first game that they played against Montreal's 1-1 draw was a 4-3-3. Uh, they beat on Saturday, they beat Colorado Rapids 1-0 using a 3-5-2. Um, they have the depth uh, to do things like that. They have people that can change and rotate. The unique thing about the team is the back line is incredibly solid with people that are proven internationals. And then you look in the midfield and you have someone like Caleb Stanko, who played in Germany, who played a little bit in the Bundesliga, who's 25, he's young, he can come back to America. How will he play? They brought in Alan Cruz, who was playing for the Costa Rican national team yesterday against the U.S. Uh, He's another young guy. He's 22 years old. 
And then obviously bringing people in like Kendall Waston from Vancouver or Elvis Powell from Portland. Uh, Greg Garza, who's obviously a U.S. international as well. Uh, There's a lot of talent there. There's people who can get forward. This team in general has liked to play out of the back and tries to move forward, uh, attack on the wings when they can, and always always have a good spine. And so you've kind of seen that in terms of the roster recruitment and the people they've brought in. Charlie, where does Frankie Amaya fit into all this? Is Does he figure to be a, a regular in the starting 11 when the season starts, or is, is he going to have to battle it out with some guys to uh, to get into that starting 11? Yeah, they have, I mean, there's no there's no been expectation that's been set on him. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the role you're going to play. When I talk to Frankie, he's like, look, I want to make some appearances. I want to show people why I was the number one pick. The club would like to do that too, obviously. Um there's again, there's a decent midfield. It's not necessarily clogged. There's just people trying to figure out their way. Uh, Frankie made his first appearance yesterday or on Saturday against Colorado. He played 10 minutes. Um, so at this point, it's still trying to work him in and seeing where he fits on the roster rather than you're going to play X amount of games or make X amount of appearances from either the bench or starting. Charlie, what is the one player you, Charlie Hatch, are excited to see this upcoming season? One player? Uh, I don't know if I have a specific one. I think there, I think it'd be cool to see which players from the USL team can make it. Uh, there's people that you guys might not necessarily know about, like Hassan uh, Indom has played well in USL with the Red Bulls that they brought in. Uh, I think it'll be cool to see Darren Maddox, who was brought in from DC United, who a lot of people are saying, well, you know, why bring this guy in? You have Hadi, or they haven't did, – how did they play when they were together um, previously? He's looked really good in preseason training. There's a guy named Leo Bertoni who came from Young Boys in Switzerland who's looked really good in preseason as well. So seeing those kind of guys, people that can come in, play well in the midfield or and or score goals uh, like Maddox up front would definitely be something that's exciting. And – uh I don't know if it's necessarily something that people around MLS expect, but these are either new faces or people who've been in the league that have a new opportunity to show what they can do. Yeah, Charlie, I would say as a, as a fan of a team, uh, um, my team being Minnesota United, I can say in the inaugural season, it seemed like the, the greatest contributions uh, they got in that first season were from players that featured with them in the NASL. And then you had a couple uh, of players who were uh, with uh, USL and Kevin Molino. But I want to ask you uh, about this. You, you talked about the draft uh, earlier here in the interview. But I wanted to ask you, what were the team's thoughts on acquiring all of Philadelphia Union's draft picks? Well, you look at that situation and it's, you know, obviously not all the picks were used. Uh, there were picks passed in the uh, third and fourth round. But FC Cincinnati got a deal with LAFC where LAFC said, hey, we'll give you this amount of money uh, that and a first-round pick that happened just before uh, the draft went down. And then there was that uh, later in that day, the trade was announced with Philadelphia. So FC, without trying to justify or explain why teams necessarily did it in this particular way, it was a situation where FC Cincinnati actually made a profit off of the players that or the um, the deals between LAFC and then Philadelphia, and in addition picked up more picks that they could use. So 
Um, you know, that 13th pick, they brought Logan Godula and a fullback from Wake Forest. That's somebody that might not necessarily have been there with their 16th pick, which they ended up giving to Red Bulls. But FC Cincinnati is in a different situation from everyone else just because you don't have an academy. You don't have homegrowns you can go to. And so if this is a way that you can jumpstart that and you can start bringing in younger people that might start playing a role or be part of your core down the road, that's why they went with that route. Um, again, it's completely understandable why everyone's like, well, why would you make that move? But they took the money essentially from one deal and then applied it to another and then got all those picks out of making such a move. Now, Charlie, last question here. How excited is the club to be facing the Columbus crew this upcoming season? Yeah, it'll be fun. They actually play in a couple weeks in Charleston. Um, But, you know, they've played before. They played uh, in the Open Cup in 2017. FC Cincinnati won. That that was cool in itself. And it's cool seeing, you know, there were about a thousand or so Columbus crew fans that came down. And I think during the draft or the expansion process, when everyone was wondering if FC Cincinnati would be getting in, there's also a lot of concern where, how much does Columbus impact FC Cincinnati? Is that something that's actually a thing? Uh, would they take one or, over the other? Uh, the fact that Columbus crew is still around, uh, you know, a lot of people in Cincinnati grew up going to crew games. I had crew season tickets as a kid. Uh, so the fact that they're both being able to play in the same league, that they're able to stick around, that it's a natural rivalry, uh, the hell is real sign in between the two on Interstate 71 has always been there. So it should be exciting. I think it's ex- it's something to look forward to, the fact that it's in August. There's a little bit of a wait. It's kind of frustrating. But it's something at all that should last around. There's no doubt that it should sell out both stadiums. And it should be something that the rest of the country who maybe they see it as flyover country or whatever will be able to say, look, that's true passionate rivalry between two teams that are fairly close to one another. Uh, Charlie, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll be looking for- – Forward to the uh, I don't know what we're calling it the Ohio Derby or or I, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter and uh, anything else you may want to plug away. Yeah, I will say. Uh, so we call it the Hell Is Real Derby. That's what the fans called it, and so we're keeping that. Uh, although Columbus Crew haven't actually come out and said anything on their social media, so I don't know what they're going to say. Um, so we'll have we'll have to see what goes down. That's what our club has said. Um, but yeah, you can follow me with the club at FC Cincinnati, Cincinnati FCCincinnati.com or on Twitter at Charlie Hatch with an underscore. Wonderful, Charlie. Thanks Thank again you guys for, so much. for joining us here today. And uh, I guess good luck with the preseason and the, the season ahead. Thank you. And you guys as well. Thank you. Well, there you have it, inside FC Cincinnati. Uh, Armand, you disagree with the draft picks, and you also said last year they weren't making the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, look, look the, the, the picks in the expansion draft and how the roster was built, that to me, it's it's a little interesting. Uh, I do love the pick of Frankie Amaya. I feel like he's almost a homegrown player. You're, you're picking up a guy at 18 uh, to to develop, I mean, I think it's a fantastic pick. But I mean, look, maybe if the expanded MLS playoffs, I could be wrong. But I just, I, you know, 
there's so many defensive mids on that team. And, you know, re- relying on USL players, I-, I think our boy Jake knows how that how that ends up. Uh, uh, I mean, you get you get you get some good players like Christian Ramirez and Miguel Abarro, but I mean, outside outside of that, it's not the greatest way to go. I can tell you, and I mentioned this in the interview, I can tell you the greatest contributors to Minnesota United's inaugural season were Christian Ramirez, Miguel Ibarra, Brent Coleman, and I get that he played in MLS for a couple of years prior to joining Minnesota United, but Kevin Molino also, uh, who featured in USL with Orlando City, was also a a, a pretty big contributor for the Loons. I'm, I don't know why you're so down on them. I, I think that they've done a very smart thing and saying we're going to defend and like Charlie alluded to they want to play out of the back we're going to sign a bunch of defenders we're going to sign some defensive midfielders and we're not going to give up you know 70 some odd goals like Minnesota United did their first season we're going to play defense and we're going to try to grind out some results and I think they will battle for a playoff spot and I would not be shocked if they finish sixth or seventh in the east so we so we have the same kind of range right like you have them finishing six, seven. I have them potentially outside looking at eight or nine. Yeah, you in a prior episode said they would finish eight, nine, or ten, and I said no, no, Armand. So, they so, will... play, so, so playoff bubble. Is that what we're picking? I don't Cincinnati? think a six is is a six seed a, play, a, a bubble team. Yeah, because uh, I, mean, I guess I guess playoff bubble. That I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think there are a lot of people that think because this team hasn't spent thousands of millions of kajillions of dollars on tam gam zam whatever on they have. winger they have. x yeah but they haven't done it on a winger x y and z and they haven't don't, they don't have a uh, attacking midfielder that anyone's heard of and they're relying on usl players that everyone just assumes oh this team is going to be terrible this team's going to be at the bottom of the table with orlando city i don't think so i think that they're going to be strong out of the back they're going to have a spine and they're going to be able to defend and play on the road some because they can defend. And I think that's going to help them in the long run. I don't know. We'll see. I think this team could sneak up on people. This is anytime you play FC Cincinnati, it's a trap game. These are trap games and they're going to have a pretty substantial home field advantage that a lot of the league is going to get very jealous of very quickly. What's the home field advantage turf? No, they're just going to have people (laughs) in their stadium. Uh, shots at half the league. Yeah, put them on blast. <laughs> anyway, listeners, follow us on Twitter, Sam Soccer Pod. If you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, go back. We talked MLS transfers. Giovinco, Almarone, and Acosta, those big three. Silly season. Yeah, silly season. Come back tomorrow. We do the first installment of the counterattack with Jake Watroba. And, uh... New thing here on Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. The counterattack is going global. Till next time. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jodrant. Joining me as always, Jake Watroba and Armand Kafai. On this episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we do the counterattack with Jake Watroba. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the previous two episodes. We talked about MLS 
Transfers and FC Cincinnati. Go ahead and hit the subscription button, wherever that may be on any podcast platform you listen to. Give us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. Now, let's get to today's episode. Fast-paced, shifty movement, brilliant skill. It's the Counter-Attack with Jake Retrovo. What's going on, everybody? It's counterattack time here on Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. We have a plethora of topics, and I mean plethora. I have topics on topics on topics, man. Uh, okay, you guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm always ready for a counterattack, Jake. Let's, let's go. This. You're always ready, baby. You're always ready. All right, let's let's dive right in. Let's get going here. Um. First topic up for discussion, Eric Winalda's Las Vegas Lights beat Toronto FC yesterday. Uh, yesterday being Saturday as we're recording this on a Sunday. 5-1. Uh, to one. <laughs> I believe TFC's backline was their starters from last year. Give me your thoughts quickly on this <laughs> complete domination of Las Vegas Lights FC over Toronto FC. Guess what? Toronto's not making the playoffs. And I said that, what, Friday, yesterday, before this result, before Giovinco moved, they're not making the playoffs. So my hot sports take, I think we need to see Las Vegas in MLS. Uh, I think they should earn promotion into MLS because, first off, if you all watch the highlights, they, they, they release confetti on the field after every goal. The field is covered in confetti by the end of the game. Yeah, I would be embarrassed if I was a TFC. They look terrible uh, in that game. And yeah, go Lights. Go Llamas. Go Eric Winalda. Uh, I'm going to make sure, by the way, that we hashtag ProRel for USA in this uh, episode as Armand has now called for it. I want uh, Ted What's-His-Face to retweet this now uh, just because Armand Kafai is a pro, our, our pro rel uh, correspondent uh, or uh, connoisseur. All right, moving on, moving on here. Uh, we're gonna go international. Our Ooh. boy Neymar. Our boy. Is, He's not our again, boy. You love Neymar. You can't get enough of Neymar, Stephen. Uh, Neymar is hurt once again. He's been ruled out for ten weeks. PSG has a big uh, two-legged fixture with the Red Hot Red Devils of Manchester United in the round of 16 in the Champions League. Guys, is PSG in trouble? Yes, 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 yes. Well, they didn't get Luciano Acosta, and I think that would have been the X factor for them, uh, especially with <laughs> Neymar being out. So I, I don't give them a chance. I mean, look, I know they have Mbappe and all these guys, but without Luciano Acosta, they're nothing. So, yeah, there's no way. Honestly, uh, Manchester United, I think, is what, 9 wins and a draw Nine in the win? last 10 or something like yeah, that. It's ridiculous. They've been on fire. They've been and on they, fire. Like, this is not the team PSG wants to play right now. It is the team that's hot. Now, what, Neymar's out 10 weeks or so? So, we'll see. We'll out see. for a year, basically, if you think about it. It's pretty terrible. Alright, let's, uh, let's go back. Let's do a little MLS with a little international here. Uh, former Manchester United midfielder Nani, or Nani, however you say it, has interest in co- uh, in coming to MLS. However, ESPN's Jeff Carlisle is reporting that according to sources, according to a league 